Ladies and gentlemen, this is Book Music with your host, Tosh. And I'm Kim Lee. And today, well, first of all, I should explain that our show, in case by weird chance you have not heard our show yet, we just focus on books on music, about music, memoirs by musicians, and fictional characters who are composers or musicians. And today is a really big huge, mega subject matter. It is Thomas Mann's Dr. Faustus, The Life of the German Composer, Adrian Leverkuhn. I think it's Kuhn. Kuhn? Leverkuhn is told by a friend. Very mysterious friend. Yes. (laughs) I never read a The only Thomas Mann book I ever read was Death in Venice. Yeah, you weren't prepared for this, were you? <laughs> Not at all. I was expecting like sort of like a typical uh, music bio where they grew up poor, <laughs> bought a guitar at the secondhand shop, <laughs> wrote their first song at 15, had meg success, a lot of women, men, drugs. Rock and roll. And sometimes they die, sometimes they don't, and we just have an easy discussion about these people. Yeah. So whose insane idea was to do the Thomas Mann title? I do believe it was yours. Why didn't you <laughs> why did you allow that? <laughs> I actually love Thomas Mann. This is totally in my sweet spot. Well, um, I this is my first big Thomas Mann novel and it is a big novel. It's over five hundred pages. Yes. It's not really the pages, really. It's really the quality. Yes. There's a lot of depth on every single page. And we mean every single page. (laughs) There's lots of information. For sure. It took me two and a half weeks to read this. Yeah, I'm saying probably the same here. But um, it's an interesting book because um, I first discovered this book because through the book uh, The Rest is Noise, Mm -hmm. because he mentioned Dr. Faustus. Right. And I thought, okay, I'm going to be extra smart instead of doing... Rest is noise book. Let's do the Doctor Foster's book. Ah, <laughs> you're so clever. Because I <laughs> got yourself into a lot of yes, trouble. Yes, yes, yes. It was a, a rather foolish move on my part. But um, Doctor Foster's book is about music, or more about a musician composer. Yeah. It's a book that has a lot of music in it. Yeah. For me, I think it's um, you know the mu- the composer is really a stand-in for any kind of creative person. I mean, the book really gets into the debates of aesthetics and, right. you know, what an artist is in the world and the first, importance of art. First of all, there is a confusion, I think, that a lot of people have on this book. Mm-hmm. You know, um, <clears throat> I heard of this book because, well, I heard I heard of the book. Right. Uh, I'm very literate, of course. Of course. <laughs> so, but um, I didn't know the main composer and the, char- the main character mm-hmm. um, is based on Arnold Schoenberg, a composer, a composer who I admire and like. Right. And, um, and I, but then I realized as I was re, reading the book, I'm thinking, I don't think this is Schoenberg. Yeah. I, I, what, he, what Thomas Mann did, his connection to Schoenberg, was he based the character's um, compositional talents or his genius right. based on Schoenberg's music. Mm-hmm genius mm-hmm. and I think that's basically it I mean do you see is there is there something I'm missing everything I I <clears throat> gathered from my background reading was that that was it and it was very interesting because apparently Schoenberg had some issues with this and he was not happy about he it not, they, understandably because this character is a bit 
What's interesting, you, you know, know um, Mon wrote this book in uh, Los Angeles in the 40s. Right. And he knew um, Schoenberg, who lived in Los, Ange- yeah, Los Angeles. Yeah, expats living And uh, Darno, the, um, um, the German critic, philosopher, was also living in Los Angeles. And he was also uh, uh, quite knowledgeable about music. And he wrote, he wrote a book about music as well. Mm-hmm. So Adorno sort of, I think, gave him advice, Mon, some technical knowledge about music. Mm-hmm. And he knew Schoenberg. And, um, but I think Schoenberg was outraged because he probably thought Mon was commenting this character, that you know, yeah. this character is Schoenberg. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting, when you read the last page, the very last page of the book, there's like a little note from the author, yeah. Thomas Mann, saying uh, just the music part is based on Schoenberg and yeah. not really based on he the Yeah, he really character. clarifies it. And apparently that note wasn't in the first editions. Ah, that so, was added ah, afterwards. Added. Oh, okay. Yeah, so they really kind of... Okay. They were not... Uh, Schoenberg was definitely not happy about it. But. So when they went to the uh, the Red Lion on Glendale Boulevard for their German beer, they probably, they probably, they probably ran, you know, in the 40s, they probably ran into each other. And there's probably some heated words over um, Frankfurters and uh, sauerkraut yeah. and beer. Uh, I would have liked to have been a fly on that wall. That must have been interesting. So what is this book, Dr. Faustus? I mean, what, what, first of all, we should explain the Faust well, yeah. So yes. this the the uh, the Faust, uh, Faustian uh, uh, theme is big in German uh, literature. It goes way back, and it's a popular theme, I think, in literature. And um, you know, I think it's really interesting, especially it comes up, I think, a lot with creative people. Right. People don't seem to have an understanding of how people get their talent, and so everybody just kind of thinks it's something mysterious. There must be some kind of deal with the devil. Well, it's like the Robert Johnson story. Exactly, exactly. Where Robert Johnson met... The Crossroads. At the Crossroads, the devil. And, um, of course, it's such a great romantic story. You can sort of see the picture of it. And I think, actually, there's fictional works as well, maybe a movie version of... Of Robert Johnson meeting the devil? Probably. I mean, yeah. it's such a popular thing. Very popular. So that's very popular in our generation yeah. or in our age. Yeah. But the Faustian bargain or their deal has is, is gone back for Oh, yeah, it's gone centuries. back for a very, very long time. But I think it's, it, you know, it, again, it gets back to the point that I think it's it's how people explain things they don't understand. And I think the creative arts are something that so many people don't understand. And it's just so mysterious to them. So they just make this assumption that somehow there's got to be some deal. But like, it's interesting, I just watched a documentary about Robert Johnson. Oh. And, you know, people said that, you know, he he didn't have any skill. Mm -hmm. And then like a year, year and a half later, he showed up and suddenly he was just this amazing guitarist. Mm -hmm. But the documentary, um, they did a lot of research and apparently he spent that whole year, year and a half studying with some really great guitarist. Right. So, I mean... It's always interesting because I think most artists would would you know have a problem with this deal with the devil like Schoenberg did. Mm-hmm. You know he didn't want people to think that that's how he got his talent. Most artists are like, I work my butt off, you know, and that's why you know it's like it's the you know one percent inspiration, ninety nine percent perspiration. And probably a lot of them don't. And, and there, there, there there is a certain type of artist who don't want to show the inspiration. They just want to of pre- presume you know this comes naturally. Yeah, yeah. So the Faustian thing is sort of a convenient mm-hmm. gateway for 
<clears throat> to avoid yes. the essence of one does hard work for yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. And then there's also a moral aspect to this. And I mean, there's sort of a moralistic, like, you have to work hard for what you want. Yeah. You know, you have to get a job, you have to do this, spend many hours, you have to mm-hmm. study, mm-hmm. Uh, sacrifice something, you know, mm-hmm. be poverty-driven. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Faustian thing is sort of like a, 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 a quick shortcut to 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 an area or a landscape of greatness. Right. Well, there's an interesting quote right in the beginning of the book that the narrator says that I really liked. He says, even when it is a matter of a pure and authentic genius bestowed or perhaps inflicted by God rather than an acquired or destructive genius, a sinful and morbid necrosis of natural talents, the fruition of some horrible pact. (laughs) <laughs> that's like on one of the first couple of pages so you know this book is gonna <laughs> well, you know artists in general are kind of shady people oh yeah absolutely I mean they would just make a deal with anybody <laughs> I know I would <laughs> I mean at the turn of the century during the music hall era or the vaudeville era mm-hmm. actors were not allowed in hotels there were signs that say no dogs no actors allowed oh wow I didn't know that yes oh that's interesting so even actors <laughs> wow <laughs> And I don't know if they're lower on the uh, ladder than a than a musician, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know certainly women actresses were almost always considered to be whores. Right. You know, definitely low on the right the chain of society for sure. So the Mon book, why? So it's okay. It's obviously a very dense book, and it's about a lot of things. Yeah. I mean, it's sort of about German culture. It's about. Um, issues that happened in the 20th century. Mm-hmm. For instance, Hitler. <laughs> uh, just, you know, little detail. Um, little details. <laughs> and, about, and, and it strikes me, you know, it's, it's interesting how we were talking about earlier, we were talking about, but throughout the book, there's sort of an echo yeah. quality. And I see this now in real life. I see, you know, like something, like, I, I, to me, it's not that pack with with the with uh, Faust, but it's more of a, a Pandora's box. Mm, mm-hmm. I always felt that ever since nine eleven, mm. we opened a pan, you know, like me, the United States of America, opened up a Pandora's box. Mm. This made everything worse. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's something about the human nature where the, the, if there's, if they had two rows, go just get doing something better or do something worse. I think. A lot of times they go for the um, the road that will lead to ruin or, or worse situations. Ah, the, the nihilism. I think so. And that's, I got I got that from this book. I'm not yeah. sure if that's what Thomas Mann thinks. Oh, but. I think so. I think he definitely is getting into the, you know, he's looking into the nihilistic nature of, of humans. And it's interesting because when I was reading about the whole Schoenberg controversy, then I also discovered that actually the character is based more on Nietzsche. I've heard that too, yes. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, and how, you know, that Nietzsche also suffered from mental illness and mm-hmm. and had a lot of, uh, he, uh, they believe he also had syphilis, as right. the character in the book did. And um, so that's really more of a, a character that he looked to. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I was reading how, you know, a lot of what Nietzsche, I haven't really read very much Nietzsche, but um, when I was researching this, a lot of it said that, Nietzsche was very interested in how he felt that illness and sickness contributed to the creative spirit, right, or and aided it, right. So that's as, as well in. as well destructive spirit, yeah, politically and yeah. socially, yeah. Um, but it's interesting how the role of the artist 
has such a great importance in society and culture, but mm-hmm. it's sometimes defined differently from different, you know, different types of people. Yeah. Um, the nature of like writing masterpiece after masterpiece um, is a rarity, and uh, you know, this is another thing. I mean, this is me being a writer, creative mm-hmm. writer. Mm-hmm. I hope. Mm-hmm. Um, I never want to write. My my intention is not to write masterpieces. This is basically just keep on working and writing something. Right. But the main character, it seems, wanted to write masterpiece after masterpiece yeah yeah yeah. and that's why he made a pack with this mysterious that's another thing that's kind of a difficult read for the book there's nothing here that says he met satan he met the devil right it's very kind of vaguely put well there's yes there's a very climactic chapter about chapter 25 chapter 25 (laughs) is that the number Yeah. yeah where he has this meeting but it's very vague. I mean, I to me, it seems more metaphorical. It seems more that he has mental illness or whatever you want to call it. Yes. That he's hallucinating. This is in his imagination, and he's sort of creating a self-fulfilling prophecy. And sort of debating philosophy with this, I mean, yeah. with this other being or other person. They're right. both are. They're both sort right. of making their arguments and right. stuff. Right. Well, it's interesting because the character starts out as a theology student. Yes, a religious so, student. So, you know, uh-huh. and then, so then he meets with the devil and everything changes in his life. So he, he made a choice from being a religious, a religious study mm-hmm. or a scholar in religious studies. Yeah. And he changes into, well, not changes, but he, the, the composing side sort of took over, right. the music side. Right. Um, and it's interesting, both of them are not illogical, but they both deal with with a sense of like a, a, <clears throat> a type of brain to accept religion and studying religion. Mm-hmm. Um, is that is it that far off from music, studying music? Well, I think that's a big part of what the book is about. Mm-hmm. Is, you know, are the arts some kind of divine? You know, are they? Do they come from God? You know, and and how spiritual are they, or are they purely intellectual? I mean, I think it's really interesting how they he gets into that a lot. And I love all the scenes where they're sort of in the salon, you know, or at dinner parties, and they're talking. And mm-hmm. he, some of those are really hysterical. I thought, you know, where he's making fun of the bourgeoisie and mm-hmm. the things they say. There was one scene in particular where I was just laughing so hard because he has this one uh, guy who's very pompous and he just keeps saying that everything is so, um, it's it's not conservative enough and he keeps going back and back and back and naming all these mm-hmm. composers till he finally gets back to Bach and he's like, no, Bach is just over the top, he's awful. <laughs> and you know, the, like one of the other characters who's just a complete numbskull is just mm-hmm. like, doesn't know how to take that because mm-hmm. At that point in, you know, this is early 20th century Germany, Bach right. is canon, you know, that's, right. you know, you don't mess with Bach no. and the guys like, so there's this great line, let me see, it says, uh, it's so funny. <laughs> so the character who didn't know what to make of this, he's like, he found this so eerily disconcerting that he even removed his monocle from his eye, thereby robbing his face of every trace of intelligence. <laughs> <laughs> So he, he gets some good digs into the bourgeoisie. I love that. So I thought that was hysterical. But yeah, the dinner parties are great because they get it. That's when he really sort of gets into all these debates right. of culture and what it means in society. And my my understanding of Thomas Mann, mostly through Luna Menno, my wife, <laughs> we had a discussion that Thomas Mann was was sort of in his early years was conservative. Right. And 
I think ever since you know the whole war situation, um, he became not more left, but more um, open-minded of sorts. I'm not yeah. really sure, you know, the, him to recognize the bourgeoisie yeah. trait. But it's, it's also interesting that he, um, I mean, I, I got I got the presumption that Thomas Mann truly loves German Germany. Yeah, he loves German culture, mm-hmm. and he feels that German culture has been perverted. Yeah. And there's a lot of anger, I think. There's a certain type of, not shame, really, but just more of a uh, regret and a sense of anger that something took over something. Yeah. You know, like the German culture is so pure. Like, yeah. you know, his mind is like, he was definitely, you know, um, like, I think during World War One, he was very strongly supportive of German culture and the war in mm-hmm. World War One. Yeah. And it totally changes for him, you know, by World War II, of course. Yeah. So it's sort of like um, he's of the generation, like of intellectual, who is totally let down by the world and disappointed in the world. Right. And becoming an exile in Los Angeles. And um, the book sort of deals with that, that, that feeling to me. I feel yeah. that sort of that sense of regret or hurt. Definitely. I mean, I definitely see, uh, you know... Um, I guess we all do this as we project the writer into their work, and you know, so you see, you kind of see the composer and the the character of the composer a little bit as mm-hmm. being Mon, and then definitely the narrator you see as being Mon even more so because the narrator I think is similarly you know pro Germany, very conservative at the beginning in his younger years, and then as time goes on, he's very against the the Second War, and. Um, what I thought was super interesting about the book was that the politics weren't in your face in the book. No. They're very behind the scenes. <clears throat> yeah. And he, the narrator only brings them up occasionally. Yeah. And none of the characters are directly affected by either war. It no. seems none of them have any deprivation. They're all sort of more, they, during the wars, they seem to be living in the countryside or whatever. Yeah. So it was really interesting. It's like, a, it's like compartmentized. It's like in another room. Right. But at the <laughs> same time, you know, and Mon, I'm sure, had to know that everybody reading this book is going to be thinking about the political meaning of the book. Especially since it was published like two years after, you know, yeah. right after the war. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, which at that time, Germany culture was pretty much crushed. Yeah. You know, I'm not sure. It, it definitely built itself up over the years. Right. But the whole, you know, the whole uh, romanticism that Germany had with its culture and stuff is... Well, was deeply challenged. Yeah, yeah, to say the least. In the very least. So, something you brought up, is talent something an artist is born with, or do they have to work hard to develop it? Yeah, so that's something I think he deals with a lot in the book. Because, I mean, did the composer in the book, did he actually, did he actually work hard for his craft, or is it sort of came upon him easily? Yeah. That's not really clear. Yeah, I mean, I think that's interesting, and I think that's, um, something that you know people outside of the creative fields are always wondering because certainly when uh, you go and see any kind of work or you read any work, the ideal is that people don't see the work behind it. You know, right. if I go see a ballet, I don't want to know that the dancer has bloody toes. You know, right, right, right. <laughs> um, so you know we never want to see the work that goes on behind any anything. But anybody who works in the creative field knows that there's always a lot of work, no matter how much genius mm-hmm. somebody is born with. It has to be nurtured by a lot of work. And there are people who like to see the work. Yeah, I like to see the work, I, but because I, 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 I do right. creative stuff. I but, find but, that fascinating. People who don't do creative work yeah. love to see 
They have almost like sort of a working class attitude, like I work at the gas station right. or wherever they right, work, right. and they want to see other people work the same way. Exactly. And they find it suspicious when they don't. Yeah, yeah, of there's course. A, there's like a class structure issue. Yes. And a lot of art or artists are always in this sort of invisible class or this yeah. different world of sorts. And I think this is where the Faustian deal comes from, you know? Because, mm-hmm. well, if they're not visibly working... What happened? What the hell are they yeah, doing? Yeah, they did something. No, no pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell happened? So the role, role of the... Okay, so this, does Thomas Mann... Is he concerned about the role of the artist in culture or in society? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's a big question for him. I mean, I thought it was interesting that, you know, like I said, the characters don't seem to be very political in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, Thomas Mann obviously... During the Second World War, he did become quite political. Yes. And he uh, did radio shows that were broadcast from the BBC right. to the German culture, to the German people. And um, and after the war, it was interesting, he got uh, called up by the House of... Communists, yeah, H-U- yeah H-U-A-C, yeah, yeah, McCarthy. Yeah, or, yeah, the Red uh, Scare. Roy so, Cohn. Yeah, oh God. Still here. So, you know, it's kind of like, yeah, I mean, so Mon lived in the States for like 10 years, but then in the early 50s he left because he was afraid that, you know, what was going on here was similar to Germany. Same thing happened to Bertal Breck. Yeah, yeah. He was called upon the HUAC. He is a communist. Yeah. (laughs) Hardcore communist. But he was called in HUAC, and he pretended not to understand the English. <laughs> That's a good he, move. <laughs> he was actually called, you know, in front of the Senate and you know the, uh, the committee, that's so and funny. he just sort of played dumb all throughout the thing. And then uh, the next day, he just left, went back to uh, wow. the new East Germany. Wow, oh, that's interesting. So another thing that I thought, uh, you know, he dealt with a lot in the book that I thought was interesting is, you know, about whether art needs to be groundbreaking. Does it need to be difficult? Should it be for the masses? Can you have both? Um, it's, culture, it's the high-low debate. Yeah, you know? and I think it's debated in the book. Yeah, I'm not sure. Bit. I'm not sure what the results of that debate. Well, but. I think I got the sense that he feels that there's both sides to it, and um, sort of near the end of the book, there was an interesting quote by the main character, Adrian, the composer who makes the pact. Oh, so he says something light can be serious too if it is good, which it can be just as easily as something serious can. So, um, and then he says, idealism overlooks the fact that the mind, the human spirit, is by no means addressed only by things intellectual, but rather can be profoundly moved by the animal sadness of sensual beauty. I love that, the animal sadness of sensual beauty. So he's saying you can have, you know, both sides can be important and valid. But the character... Adrian, the character, the main character, is getting more darker in his work, though. Yeah, definitely. And he didn't actually finish the piece, or he finished it in his head or something. But he was never able to perform it. Never he to collapses. Perform it. Yeah, yeah. So that's always interesting. Yeah, you know, we always think about people like uh, who died, you know, musicians who died. Yeah. And you always think, oh, what could they have done more, or what, you know, right, where's that? Right. Once you die young. What's, yeah. What happened to that album that he or she was working on? Yeah. You know, I was thinking about, because um, I did a piece on Buddy Holly, and I've always thought... Oh, right. Uh-huh. And there's not many artists, like somebody like David Bowie, whose death was tragic and profound, but, you know, he had a full career. Yeah. You know, but something like Buddy Holly or like Eddie, Eddie Cochran, yeah. you got the presumption that these guys are going to do some more stuff. Absolutely. You know, they're, yeah. not, they're not one-hit wonders, or yeah, yeah, they're yeah. like the real deal. And yeah. they were killed so young. <clears throat> so one wonders, like... 
what what will the work would have been like, you yeah. know? So the end of the book sort of reminds me of that a little bit because Adrian's like, he's making a big announcement. Yeah. And he just couldn't do it, you yeah. know? It's sort of like, I guess in a way, like Brian Wilson <laughs> doing Smile. Uh-huh. We did, we finally hear we Smile. finally did it, though. Yeah, many years later. <laughs> but that must be the same type of feeling of somebody who has great promise and yeah. everybody says, oh, this man's a genius. Right. And maybe Brian Wilson made a pact with Satan. You never know. Well, yeah. <laughs> but see, that also kind of gets into the, the, I think there's another theme that runs through it is like, is madness part of being a creative person? Are, are creative people mentally ill? Or do, you, or do you become mentally ill by virtue of being a creative? Is it, is it sort of, uh, you know? I think more like it, it's more likely that if you're in a creative environment, they allow certain eccentricities. Yeah. And if you come up with the goods, then you're allowed your eccentricity. Right. If you're like a bank clerk or if you're a plumber with the same mental <laughs> illness, or you're not allowed. It's not allowed. It's not yeah. allowed, but somehow you're allowed because you're producing it's something. It's forgiven, yeah. Or you look like you're producing something. Or yeah. you're, you're going to presume that something great will happen. Right. You know, I feel that way about Brian Wilson's reputation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know him or anything, but, you know, I, people had such high expectations of his work yeah. when he was sort of a little bit off, you know, off, well, not a little bit, off the rails yeah. mentally. Yeah. So people have high expectation of his work. And I think perhaps this Adrian character in the book, in the Thomas Mann novel, um, may people have that same presumption. They expect it. Yeah. You know, something new and something daring and something almost unexplainable. Yeah. Well, I think there's also sort of, when somebody has that degree of talent, there's also just de facto, they're going to be isolated. Yeah. They don't have peers. You know, Mm. it's hard for them to find people who can understand what they're trying to do. So I think that just right there kind of makes it a difficult life. You're already kind of struggling because you, it's difficult to communicate. You're already so far ahead of, mm-hmm. of everyone else, and people don't understand you yet. So, yeah, it's a vicious circle. One of the the, the outline, what you call the outline for Tosh. Thank you, Kimberly. <laughs> you, you mentioned something. Do artists really need to make some kind of a Faustian deal with the devil to be successful? Mm-hmm. And that's a good. Yeah, publicly, people want to think that. Yeah. And I think a lot of people who want to be artists want to think that as well. Because, mm-hmm. you know, this is where the, sort of the drug culture comes in, you know, because, mm. like, um, historically, like, Charlie Parker, like a, a, a genius saxophone, saxophone player, mm-hmm. a genius musician, uh, other musicians went, oh, my God, how does he do that? You know, yeah. and then they noticed he was on, you know, heroin was a big part of his life. Mm-hmm. So a lot of musicians actually picked up Right, the heroin, and a lot of musicians. Metaphorical deal with the devil, and and a lot of musicians have done that through '60s rock and roll, '70s, and then you know the punk era. A lot of you know a lot of junkies come out of it. Yeah, and I think a lot of that is is sort of in in the mind. It is a Faustian, right? The romanticizing and romancing yeah, but that even that sort of the the history of drugs as a. I mean, it goes back to, you know, even like Baudelaire and Rimbaud and all those people took a lot of drugs, too. So. Yeah, that's a difference. There's a different type of person who has taken drugs like Baudelaire yeah. and Rimbaud. And then there's like, you know, sort of the uh, people like um, 
um, and there's not saying bad things about them, but like saying yeah. like Charles Bukowski. Mm-hmm. And then Bukowski has a lot of followers of sorts who, right. you know, if you're going to write. Right, they ra- think if they emulate the lifestyle, then they'll be able to write like him. Which just is go straight to downtown. Yeah. You, know, bar, you know, so that's a sort of like a Faustian yeah, bargain of sorts. Yeah, yeah. I don't think they have to do that. No, um, and I don't even think it works. I mean, it doesn't work. <laughs> you have to have talent. See, I mean, I think like somebody like Bukowski is like he's definitely someone we don't see. We don't imagine him sitting down at his typewriter working. Right. We just only <clears throat> think of him as sitting in a bar having a you know drink. Right. Mm-hmm. But you know, he actually sat and spent a lot of time in his typewriter. Or Jack Kerouac, you know, yeah. he worked I mean, very, he was very hard worker. Yeah, so people don't want to think about that part of it because it's not romantic. You know? Yes, so that's a, that's that's a huge that's a huge thorn on the side of the, of the image of uh, yeah of making art. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I do have a little funny tidbit that I read, mm-hmm. kind of related to the high low culture aspect. Um, I read that um, the composer for the cartoons of uh, Tom and Jerry and mm-hmm. a bunch of other cartoons, Scott Bradley, mm-hmm. actually studied with Schoenberg, and he used the twelve-tone technique in the cartoon music. <laughs> so I love that. It's just like that's like such a perfect example of what a lot of people can sort of consider low culture, <laughs> yes. but it's actually so brilliant. You yeah, know, it's yeah. so perfect. <laughs> Schoenberg was a was a major teacher in Los Angeles. I know. Angeles. I wonder what Schoenberg thought of the cartoon music that he did. I'm sure he was still alive when he did it. Well, one story I heard about Schoenberg was that uh, Irving Thalberg wanted to hire him, or at least interview him about doing a soundtrack to a MGM movie. Oh wow! <clears throat> so it must be in, must be in the 30s. Uh huh. And they had a meeting. <laughs> no meeting. I would like to be a fly on the wall. No, for yeah, him. and it didn't last that long. <laughs> I'll bet. Because uh, Schoenberg insisted on, if he does a soundtrack, he wanted to do the dialogue. He wanted to do every part of the sound. Dialogue, wow. music. The dialogue? <laughs> the wind, the trees, everything. <laughs> <laughs> and I think Thaw- uh, and then Thalberg's last word was to his secretary or something when he left, says, man, that man's a genius. Or, I don't think he's a man. Uh-huh. That guy's a genius. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> not going to work at MGM. <laughs> Never. <laughs> Control freak. Control freak. So. <laughs> All right. So, well, I think we'll wrap that one up. Yes, we actually we actually have this new like Facebook book music. Yeah. R- readers. Sort of a book club, if you want to call it that. Yes. So if so, if anybody who uh, wants to comment on Thomas Mann book or read it or, or any of our previous episodes for sure. Or our previous episodes, yeah. every one of them. Yes. Uh, feel free to comment on that Facebook page. Yeah, and this, love uh, to get either, some dialogue going. They have to subscribe, right, or join it, or what is it? Um, yeah, um, I think you, yeah, you just go to Facebook or our website, and you'll find a link to yes. our, our Facebook book music book club, and just join, and uh, you and, can start and, chatting with and, us. And we, meaning you and me, will probably sometimes, or will, respond to their... Always. Statement. Always, <laughs> yes. So if you're going to troll... Throw ahead. <laughs> We're ready for you. <laughs> <laughs> the Schoenberg Thomas Mann. Yeah, you know those Thomas Mann Schoenberg trolls are out there. <laughs> they are. They are. I'm, Beware. Re- I'm waiting for it. So. <laughs> All right. Well, so thanks so much for listening to Book Music. So um, next time we are going to be doing a book called A Voice of the Warm, The Life of Rod McEwen by Barry Alfonso. Who never, as far as I know, studied under Sch- Schoenberg. <laughs> wow, okay. Yeah. He did not. 
So we like to switch gears here at Book yes. Music. Yes, we do. Keep everyone on their toes. Yeah, on our toes. <laughs> I'm looking. I'm very much looking forward to the uh, Rod McCune book. Yeah, mm-hmm. nice change of gears. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, so you can uh, follow us on Facebook and Instagram, and we've got playlists for every single one of our episodes on Spotify and Apple Music. And um, if you just go to our website at bookmusic.com, B-O-O-K-M-U-S-I-K.com, you'll find links to everything that you need. So we will see you next time. Bye-bye. <laughs>